everybody can have a perfect procedural idea of how to implement change, but if you don't have the right culture to do it, uh, inevitably it just becomes talk, right? And, and nobody executes anything. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we have the pleasure of hearing straight from two business leaders about what it takes to transform an organization focused on culture, growth, and excellence, how to lead an organization through the constant tide of change many struggle with today. Now, this isn't our typical podcast. We do a lot of theory on here at times, things you can apply. This is a glimpse into what it really takes to transform an organization, what works, what doesn't, the challenges encountered, the solutions to complex problems, and in the end, the results the team produced. Please join me in welcoming Steve Finch, Senior Director, Corporate Sales Development, North America, and Marco Santaro, Director, Corporate Sales Development, EMEA for Workday, two leaders who are responsible for the top of funnel activities for Workday, the lead generation, for those who are wondering what that means, the outbound prospecting and inbound handling of leads. Steve and Marco, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the show. Good to be here. Excellent. So before we jump into the topic of the day, we always like to start with a little weird question so people get to know you a little bit better. So let's start with Steve. And one of the things I'm obsessed with, and you and I have spent a lot of time together, so I may have a good idea about this, but for the audience, what's one thing that you are passionate about that those who know you largely in a work environment might be surprised to learn about? Yeah, this is a, what a great question. Very few people know this about me, and I think those who do would be surprised, um, as I don't fit, fit the the perception, good or bad, is um, when I grow up, I want to be a farmer, Chad. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You're right. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I uh, I have aspirations of one day owning my own farm and, you know, uh, mucking stalls and feeding the animals and, and uh, all, all of that, that goes with um, living in, in that lifestyle. So very little known fact about Steve Finch. Wow, I love it. I yeah, I had no idea. No idea at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. And so how about how about a few Marco? What's something you're passionate outside of work about that people may su- be surprised to learn about? Yeah, no, I didn't want to be a farmer. In fact, <laughs> I, I'm the type that wants to change all the time. I get bored very easily, so I have a hobby after hobby after hobby. And I start one and then I switch to the next one and I buy all the equipment to do that and then I switch into the next one. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty unpredictable in what I, for myself even, what I, on what I like or not. My latest one is uh, playing board games. I used to play board games as a, as a kid and I love playing board games. But now the new generation of board games, because I have a pretty sad life, my kids don't want to play with me, even though they're <laughs> in the prime age for it. Uh, I have learned the solo board games exist so i'm collecting solo board games that i can play on my own yeah so wait so it's a board game you literally play by yourself absolutely like there, there are different types of solo board games some of them are like collaborative board games they can play with a team of people with the same objective so you can play multiple characters and play on it by yourself but there are also board games that have an engine built into it that you can play solo and um, that's what i am collecting at the moment i'm wow. that sad <laughs> no, it's excellent. That's awesome. <laughs> and I'm with you. I have a tendency to change hobbies too. I have 
a phenomenal set of golf clubs that were custom made for me for the two years where I was passionate about golf 10 years ago. So <laughs> for, for quick context, Steve, those in our audience may not be familiar with who Workday is. So what's the 10,000 view of what the company does and the target audience you're serving? Yeah, great. So this is one of those, I think, questions that um, let me see if I can oversimplify with keeping things sexy. <laughs> Essentially, we're we're a software company that offers cloud-based cloud-based ERP. Our specialty is in uh, human capital management software, financial management applications. And we essentially provide a way to oversee time tracking, procurement, employee data, financial accounting, expense management at any time, anywhere. And so the, the positive for that is it really connects the employer to the employee and all the data that's necessary to make those uh, those changes and those uh, the, that, those analytics uh, easy for everyone. Yeah, the back end, the back end stickiness that runs the operations and makes business possible. <laughs> okay, so now a little bit more context because I don't, some may not understand just how large Workday is. But for those who don't know, we're talking multi-billion-dollar organization. And so let's talk about as we're going to talk about this change. Let's talk about the organization here a little bit. So what's the the breakdown of the size of the teams? How large is the team you're running in the EMEA, Marco? Uh, okay, well, first of all, EMEA is is an acronym for Europe, Middle East, and Africa. And our team doesn't cover Middle East and only covers one African country, which is South Africa. But it covers the vast majority of the European countries. And we do business development operations here in the Dublin site where uh, I'm, I'm calling from, covering for the vast majority of the European countries. We have a team of around 65 people at the moment, which uh, provide support for all the languages required to cover these countries. And we cover three regions. One is the North European region with the UK and Ireland and the North East country. Uh, then we have a, the, the mid, middle part of, of Europe where we have a Southern European region. We call it continental uh, for Iberia, France, Italy, and Benelux. And then we have the German-speaking segment of Europe, we call it DACH. So these people, uh, 65 of them have different type of roles. We cover different level of products. We also recent, recently launched an inside sales team. And we also have a, a very small team of, we call it, you know, the Generation World A team. These are uh, freshly hired uh, university graduates that come on board and start the career journey at the very beginning with us and eventually go through the different roles that we offer. Okay, excellent. And Steve, how about North America? So similar to Marco's team, um, we uh, we cover several countries. When I say several, nowhere near what, what he does, um, nor the languages. We only speak two languages, Spanish and English, but we're North America, uh, so Canada, the United States, and, and we have just launched Mexico this year. So to do that, we have 100, uh, 120 CSDs across the country, and uh, we're primarily located in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then also um, we're building out uh, an East Coast office in Boston. So a lot of great things going on for North America now. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So now that we've got the context, let's talk about everybody's favorite word, change. It's such a lovely word. It's one feared by many, experienced by all, and it's a constant challenge. It's made more complex, especially in an organization that has a workday. It's global and growing. So you embarked on this uh, this transformation journey about 12 months ago. So, Marco, when you did that, what was the objective or the goal for the transformation initiative? Yeah, at least from my point of view and 
you know, having to fix the problems I found when I joined around almost three years ago when I joined Workday. For us here was, and I think for Steve as well, I mean, we are very well connected. And since Steve came on board, we, you know, straight away, we're very much aligned in what we aim to do together in, 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 a, in, in good synchronization fashion was really to align better to the needs of a modern sales organization and to make the corporate sales development team also better, if you want, closer to the type of philosophy that you would have in a, in a pure field sales organization. For us, it was just a late stage of a long journey. When I joined we had a serious career development issue uh, in the sense that all the new hires we had and the people in the team had this aspiration of becoming account executive. But we were so far from building the talent required to do that type of work, particularly in a company selling such a complex product like Workday is, that uh, it was complete utopia. And, and, and we started to see churn caused by this because people had this desire and came on board looking for that ultimate goal but it wasn't possible for them to achieve to achieve it so for me was i i saw this opportunity to change as something that could have brought us closer to the type of mentality and to the philosophy that sales organization had and we achieved these in different ways we, we change our uh, compensation model we change our methodologies I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about this later during this conversation but it was literally a shift of paradigm from being just a business development organization that was generating unit uh, of opportunities into a, a fundamental cog in the engine that was this revenue machine that we wanted to be part of. Excellent. Excellent. Now we're talking about a level of change, just so everybody's aware, that goes across the organization. So we're talking about evolution of business model, uh, revamping of tech stack, implementing a prospecting methodology, restructuring of teams into verticals, new team inside sales reps. I mean, if we're being honest, this wasn't just putting a new engine in a car. This was reworking the entire mechanical system of the organization, engine brakes, cooling, heating, electrical, all of it. And, and for many who are listening, probably going, what in the hell were you thinking? Because that's such a massive amount of change. But uh, Steve, I'm curious, how did you determine the best approach and, and why these particular areas? Yeah, this is a, this is, uh, when you put it that way, Chad, <laughs> Extremely overwhelming, and I, I, I think especially um, for a farmer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, no offense to any farmer listening yeah. to this podcast. Farmers um, are fundamental. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, the and you know we did some of that fundamental approach to be able to accomplish what we were what we were doing. Um, it's surprising when you lay it out that way, Chad. It was it was a huge undertaking, and while I don't know that we recognized how big of an undertaking it would be in the, in the beginning. You know, to answer your question, we were pretty strategic about our approach. There was a point early on where uh, I was actually given feedback, Steve, we're, we're pushing too hard. Let's, let's, uh, let's be a little bit more thoughtful about our approach. But, you know, we, you talked about those four things, you know, revamping the tech stack, implementing a prospecting methodology, restructuring the verticals, new inside sales team, uh, like EMEA, you know, we, we moved in that, uh, in that world and we, we, chose four specific things and, and we moved from a, a units model, basically an opportunity model that didn't value the, the type of opportunity to an ACV model where we put dollars behind the opportunity. That was step one. The second thing we did, like you mentioned, was verticalization where we talked specifically about, you know, what, what's going to produce the highest or what's the highest producing verticals out there. And let's, 
deliver great pipeline to those organizations first. Uh, because at the end of the day, our, you know, our investors and stockholders all want what's going to improve the total dollar bottom line for the business. And we focused on that. More money, higher producing verticals. And then we said, well, how are we going to approach that in a better way? One of the things that what Marco mentioned coming into the organization three years ago, I came in a year and a half. And one thing that we noticed is in North America, we were really good at executing on a goal. Somebody said to do this and we did it. We were able to check boxes very well. But we knew we needed to do something more, better, and that it all had to do with these changes. And we, we actually, we approached Vortex, so Chad, you and team, because we, I had had a previous relationship there, uh, there with a different company, um, and we employed your methodology of value selling, which was great. And when we found out about Vortex, which is specifically surrounding prospecting and the best way to, to prospect, we said, this, is, this can be the engine of how we implement all these changes. And so we, you know, qualification, the way that you prospect into people, um, the how, the why, all of those things start to become very relevant when you're talking about big changes. So we adopted the Vortex methodology, which ended up going from an adoption to a culture change that was really big for us and has uh, kind of played out in space. But now we needed the the tool to be able to do all these things uh, efficiently, right? So we needed operational efficiency uh, so we adopted uh, outreach as a tool to help us become broader, bigger, uh, and and more uh, I think more valuable in our approach to uh, to prospecting. So you put all those things together over the course of a year, and yes, it was a lot of push pull, but we delivered an incredible year and and intend to kind of continue that momentum into this year by making those changes. But it was a heavy lift. I I lived through it. I, I want a T-shirt that says. <laughs> Well, and I have to, you know what, I have to comment on something about that. I, we work with a lot of companies and, and watching, working with you and Marco and, and John Bird and some of the others, but watching how you approached it with sincere focus on the culture to make sure that the teams were bought in, that they were taken care of, that they were included in the decision-making process, even though there were some bumps and bruises and I, we were there for some of those, it was amazing to watch that touch point through the change management thing. And from my perspective, for what it's worth, not that this is about me, was that was an amazing thing that I think laid the, the groundwork for your success. And there's one thing I want to highlight for the audience here. Where they decided to make these investments to tackle these challenges, not when they're struggling to hit growth targets. They were, they were crushing it. They were winning. But they made the investments the teams were performing well and being successful at the top of their game rather than the majority of companies which tackle these types of initiatives when things are slowing down. So, Marco, help us understand the mindset, the thought process behind the timing of these initiatives. Yeah, you're right, Chad. I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm saying a platitude, but uh, it is important to change when you're on top of your game because uh, if you kind of become complacent, then everyone else around you it gets better and then you're stuck behind in, in, in a, in an old trick, if you want. So I think from that point of view, you need to strive to, you know, push up the boundaries when you think that you have almost run out of room using the methodology you're using now, no matter how successful you are. Just to, to give you an analogy, I support a, a football team in Italy called Juventus. 
And by the way, football is a sport that we have rebranded soccer for the, the Americans. <laughs> so for your American audience, I'm talking about the same sport that you call football, where, where you barely touch a ball with a foot. But anyway, so, so this team um, won the Italian league for eight years in a row. And this year, they completely changed everything. They completely changed their method of play. They changed the coach. They changed a good number of players. And they're struggling now. They're really, really struggling. To They're top of the league still, but, but the, the divide that was there between them and the competing team is gone. But what they're doing, they're gearing up to improve the game. So while before they were winning, but they weren't that exciting to watch, now they're playing and, and developing tactics to become exciting to watch with a goal to still win eventually. But they made the change in order to be on top of the game and eventually, you know, take another box, which was entertaining their fans in a better way. So I think from our point of view, it was pretty much the same. So we were reaching a certain height, but we knew that with the ambitions we had as an organization, we need to push the boundaries further. And this was the one thing that we needed to do. Like in the pursuit of business excellence, you want to find always new methodologies that are uh, somewhat tested or evidence of being successful in other settings that you need to adopt and need to improve yourself all the time. If I may add, there was another thing that I think was very important, and this is testimony to the great work that we are doing with Steve and with our third regional colleague, who's Catherine uh, Tess, based in, in the Asia-Pacific uh, region, is that we have started to align a lot better as an organization globally. And this became... The best time, probably the prime time to do something like this, where we could adopt and implement a methodology that consistently could apply to every region because we had overcome those regional differences that would have prevented for, for this to be successful in previous times. So I think it was a, it was a combination of being successful, wanting to be more successful and being the right time to do that because as a global organization, we were all on the same page. Yeah, good call out. Yeah, any, Steve, anything you want to add to that? Because I think that's a really powerful point, that global alignment was something we focused on. So I want to make sure understand your perspective on that as well. Yeah, Marco, I, I think Marco framed it perfectly. The, a year and a half ago, the three regional heads met in Singapore. And at the time, uh, there was a different leader in the APJ world. And, you know, Marco and I proposed this idea of having a one CSD motion so that although we are regionalized and there are some uniqueness uh, with each region and some nuances that, certainly accompany those uh, those different regions. We wanted to have the same approach. We wanted to have the same belief system, uh, the same set of core values, the same um, go-to-market strategies that would, would help us be successful, not only from a, a regional perspective, but also so that if there ever was change or there was uh, best practices that could be shared, they were done globally. So when we introduced that a year and a half ago, I don't know that we ever anticipated, I think we'd hoped, but I don't think we anticipated that we would get this far this fast uh, with the one CSD motion. And it's, it's been, it's really been, I think the difference maker across the globe, especially when we're talking about making some of these changes that have been instrumental in our success, primarily the, you know, those things that we, that we just highlighted. So Marco kind of being the champion of it, he's the, He's the veteran, the old dog, as you would. <laughs> we all put our heads together, uh, and here we are. And in order to pull it off, right, it goes back to I, it goes back to the culture for the company. And we've all heard the quote 
culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I was lucky enough to experience the firsthand, uh, experience firsthand the amazing culture that Workday leadership focused on, as I mentioned before. But there had to be some underpinning values, like a mission. And so, Steve, what, what were the touchstones that you used throughout the process to, to really make sure culture was focused on the values were key as we were going for this global alignment? I think you put it perfectly when you said um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Everybody can have a perfect procedural idea of how to implement change, but if you don't have the right culture to do it, uh, inevitably it just becomes talk, right? And, and nobody executes anything. So we have a very specific set of core values that we live live by in North America CSD that uh, I think we're, we're starting to adopt globally that have been the culmination of 20, 20 to 25 years of experience in my, in my leadership world. And, and it always comes down to the four same things that really produces results. And those, those cultural principles in, include what we call our core four. And they are incredible work ethic, uh, building strategic and meaningful relationships, demonstrating exceptional leadership. Uh, and then finally, but certainly not, not to be dismissed as the last but not least, um, you know, who are you bringing with you is a philosophy that we really abide by. It's this um, teamwork idea that you have to be bringing somebody with you at all times. And if you're, if you're struggling, you have to be willing to find somebody who's not and say, bring me with you. Those four things have allowed us to have a lot of success when it came to those incremental changes that we needed. And sometimes those drastic changes that we needed to level up. Uh, and that was an approach that we had when we went into all this change is to Marco mentioned, and, and Chad, you spelled it out when you said um, we weren't in a, in a position of desperation. We were succeeding at a very high level. So if the communication was to come in and say, hey, we need to fix something, the idea was, well, nothing's broken. So instead of taking that approach, it was let's level up. Let's go from good to great. And uh, the way that we kind of foundationally approached that communication was through our core four philosophy. Yeah, and, and I think it's a critical point because we made sure we all worked. You, 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 and and Marco were very clear. This is not we're not fixing anything. And and based on the assessment that we had done, we we came to the same conclusion. Like why why now? Because everybody was crushing it, and the teams were doing great. And it was like, hey, we want to go to the next level, right? And that was that became critical in all of the communications and and all of the engagements that happened. However, anytime you start change, there's always uh, fear, right? It's the same, like we talked about, it's the same cycles of grief, resolving grief. So Marco, curious to know, how did the teams, the individuals respond uh, as the changes started rolling out? It wasn't easy at the beginning. Uh, there was a lot of resistance. Uh, the the fortunate thing for us, I mean, I could leverage two main, main points. One is that as a company, one of our corporate values is uh, innovation. So I basically framed this as you know, the required change for us to be, you know, ahead of times and do something that will push us to do things in a systematic, more predictable way. And it's kind of the lingo that uh, the team would hear at every exec, uh, you know, addressing of the of the wider company audience. We want to have better predictability. We want to be in control of the business. So they kind of resonated in the first place. And then I must say I was very, very lucky for being the last region, the last global region that implemented the change. <laughs> so um, uh, Steve, Steve was, uh, was the first one that had to go through it. I'm sure with, you know, more of a shock to the system than <laughs> anybody else had to suffer. Then APJ came next and I, I kind of like said, look, 
just talk to your colleagues. And, and, uh, and that was the one thing that automatically, once you bring it down to the level of the people experience, like, okay, you're my manager. You can tell me that everything is fantastic as much as you want, but then I'm there, you know, and on the front line, having to suffer from this change and having to adapt to it and may not necessarily suit me. And yeah, it's all great, but, uh, but, uh, show me, show me where it really impacts you. That saying is so great. And I had these that I could bring in front of them. I could say, talk to your colleagues. And, and the good thing is that we all use this internal chat system where we have different channels and my team was made part of the channel that the North America and APJ team shared. And it was all hype. It was all, you know, energy. It was celebration. And that helped a lot. In fact, it even surprised me because uh, no matter how much the resistance was there before training that allowed us to acquire the knowledge and somewhat when we started to execute, it wasn't as much as, as I was expecting it to be just by the earlier conversations of preparing them to, to the change it was about to happen. Yeah, there's a, there was a big focus on that, on that cross pollination. And Steve, you played a critical role in, in championing it through, through the other regions. But I'm curious in North America, were there different ways that the team could, cause they were first, they were the first through the gauntlet. <laughs> were there, were there, were there different challenges there or, or with the individuals on the, on the ground? Yeah, there were some, there were some obvious challenges right out of the game. One of them is, is what we approached when we said, if it's not broken, why fix it? Right. That attitude of entitlement, like, Hey, we're already great. What, what do we need to, to do here? Um, so the mind share on what, on that leveling up on what we needed to do to get even better at, at what we're doing and become industry leader as opposed to just a, you know, a, a great accessory to, to the sales process. That was the first challenge that we had, and I think that through the through the course of uh, of the entire change process, that that was the the biggest thing that we had. You know, there was one moment, uh, Chad, you happened to witness this. There was one moment <laughs> <laughs> where um, we had to have a real serious discussion with just the leadership team, where we had to say, either we're going to get on board. Or we're not. And if you're not on board, you know, we, we talked about this bus analogy. I really love this. I think that you, Chad, you framed this up perfectly during the training in North America. You talked about, you know, the bus is in motion and either you're going to get on the bus or you're going to get off the bus. And if you're off the bus, that's okay. But we're going to have to find something else for else for you to do. We, we really embraced that idea. In fact, we tried to take it a step further. Um, when I had this meeting with my leadership team, I said, guys, it's not just about being on the bus when you're in this room as leaders. It's about driving the bus. So I want to know who, who among you are going to be driving the bus versus just being on the bus. And that resonated. Um, people got it. They, they were able to understand that there was, a, there was a, a moment of, you know, change management that really needed to be executed on appropriately. And we, we, that, we adopted that philosophy of not just being on the bus, but, uh, but driving the bus. I was the beneficiary of being able to go through it first. You know, you've heard about the individual. Who, somebody has to go through the wall first, and they always get bloody. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that was us. But I will say the level of experience that we gained from that and the lessons that were learned by being able to go through first created an invaluable experience and opportunity for us to be able to say, okay, now we're the champions of this change. We're not just, like I mentioned, you know, we're not just passengers. We're the pilots. 
And, and so when you look at all of the things that you were changing, was it more difficult to restructure the organization or implement the prospecting methodology or more difficult on the business model side or bringing on, you know, online new ISRs? What were the, what was the top challenge that either surprised you or, uh, you were really impressed to see the team overcome? The top challenge was the, the CSDs and the, and the leadership believing that they knew how to qualify appropriately, that they were delivering a high quality product already. So how much more high quality can they, can they deliver? <laughs> um, and when, when going through of all those things, you know, uh, the, the tool implementation and the move to an AC, ACV model and all those things, it was the belief that we could deliver a, a more highly qualified, higher quality opportunity for our, uh, for our customers, which are essentially the account executives that we're piping these opportunities for. It was that change management. It was that belief that we could provide something bigger, better, more valuable with a lot more meat on the bone. That was the biggest challenge. But when they caught the vision, when they, when they started to understand the Vortex prospecting methodology and, and started to believe in uh, and understand this really makes sense, I see how we could spend more time in delivering a higher quality product. We, we kind of accelerated past what our expectations were. That was really exciting to watch. And Marco, what about you? Were there different challenges that surprised you or, or you were excited to overcome with your team? Um, I, I, I was kind of surprised on how we overcame pretty fast the, the people challenge, the people um, change of habits, like the, the very, I mean, the very first and probably the most uh, raised pushback from the team was about uh, talking about, you know, spending an hour making calls back to back we are becoming a call center and uh, people kind of weren't, weren't checking the reality for what it was, which is something you, I liked it as well throughout the, the sessions that is we are only fooling ourselves by thinking we are a, a multitasking uh, type of animal. In reality, we are doing many monotasks and we alternate and they were missing the fact that they were probably doing calls throughout the day in a similar amount of, of, uh, of time, but not as effectively. And uh, so they, they missed their whole concept of repetitive human, which is, you know, which is like, if you do the same thing in a sequence again and again and again, you get better and more fluent and more fluid in it. And they kind of, uh, it took time to sink in. And I was surprised to see how fast it did eventually happen after the training how quickly they accepted that because they knew what was con- what was to come as i said we were the last one so they knew they had to start doing cold blocks nobody <laughs> was really really happy about that at all the one area to answer your question which is about what is the still the challenge we 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 have now is about the preparation so they kind of like got into this Oh, let's do the calls now they really want to do the calls but they are kind of like this kid that you know wants to cycle down a 45 percent inclined slope and they've just learned how to cycle and so they're, they're missing that preparation part the all prospecting prompter creation and that's where i think we need to focus a lot more now because they want to do the calls but sometimes the effectiveness of these calls and this monotasking kind of get lost by by the very fact that they don't have that script ready or not fully uh, finished or, or or compiled to the best of what it could be. So that is for us the next uh, area where we want to you know get better at. But the good thing is that 
we have learned on how to overcome a challenge in a certain way. Now we can, you know, use the same type of learning on how to overcome this other challenge. This, in my view, is much easier to tackle and uh, it doesn't require so much of a, of a, of a, of a shock to the system. Excellent. And, and so, all right, so let's talk outcomes here a little bit. Uh, it was a long process. <laughs> it was a very long process. Uh, it's not happening overnight, right? There's still an evolution. I think what you're experiencing, Marco, as we talked about before, is fairly normal with what we see with, with companies that implement Vortex. We got to get them over the fear, get the muscle memory, and then we work on the, on the preparation and the, and the, you know, excellence uh, level in terms of the confidence. So, but in this journey, kind of Steve, what, what outcomes have you seen in North America? Yeah, this is one of those things where if you could have painted the, the, the perfect picture, right, framed it up and, and had a Hollywood movie made and the whole <laughs> um, we, we we'd hoped that we were going to get really good results. But the reality was, is we, you know, we changed our, our approach so dramatically and and hoped that we would get better results based on our activity. I mean, let me let me start this. We, you know, we were a primary email activity based organization. You know, we bought the Harvard business reviews that came out 15 years ago that said, Hey, you know, calling is dead. And you, you know, move to email. You can touch more people that way and blah, blah, blah. We, we had adopted that and, and yeah, we'd had a, a certain level of success with it, but we weren't having those same meaningful conversations that were producing the, the high quality opportunities that we needed to improve to that leveling up. Right. And so, you know, we, we changed that philosophy and, we implemented this idea that was delivered through the Vortex prospecting methodology of, of call blocks. Uh, and one thing about call blocks was a daily call block being sacred. Don't touch that time. That time is specific for every member of the CSD to call together and you do it together no matter what. That, for whatever reason, that resonated with the North America team uh, in a great way. They all really loved the idea of being able to compete internally and and uh, pick up the phone more, even though there's that level of anxiety and fear that comes with picking up the phone. You know, that priming methodology that was was never even a, a, a belief or, or an idea for the North America team. They understood that leaving voicemails and calling and all, all aspects of uh, activity were very, very important. Um, and that they would result in a very valuable connect once you got the uh, the prospect on the horn. So we improved our activity ratios in calling dramatically. You know, <laughs> uh, it embarrasses me to say, but at, at one point, you know, your average garden variety of CSD was producing anywhere between eight, eight to 10 calls a day total. Now we have individuals who are upwards of 25 to 30 calls per day. And, and the big majority of those are happening during those one hour call blocks that are actually being driven by the CSD leadership rarely gets involved anymore. Uh, our CSDs crank up the music about 15 minutes before uh, their call blocks to get pumped up and uh, they start to challenge each other. They write all over whiteboards about what, what contest is going to be out there, whether it's buying lunch or, or buying jazz tickets uh, to a basketball game, especially now that uh, the season's in full swing and we're after the also <laughs> break, you know, we've got crazy fun things going on and it has made all of the difference. So um, that has been one of those things that, that uh, while, well, initially was a huge, huge change um, has paid off dramatically. Then how about for you, Marco, what kind of outcomes are you seeing with your team? Um, Well, like Steve said, we saw more than three X productivity change. So in EMEA, 
we have uh, a little bit more challenges with email uh, since the introduction of the GDPR policy, which doesn't allow to do mass emails, doesn't allow to do a number of things, even in a much smaller scale in some of the European countries. So for us, shifting to phone calls, first of all, helped in generating more valuable connects, um, not only because of the richness of the medium, of course, you have conversations that, you know, become more meaningful than a back and forth exchange of written words, uh, but also it helped us compensate for what this new policy created for us, which was a big obstacle in the way we reach out. So that, that level of productivity, it's probably too early to say what it will ultimately translate into it because uh, uh, our sales cycle can go from six to two months to two years. So it takes time for an opportunity to progress. And we, as I said, being the last one, we only launched a couple of months ago. So, but I'm expecting not only a massive increase in, in the number of opportunities we create, which is a, is a, is a, it's a ratio. So if we are three X productivity, we should expect to have, you know, a certain amount of, of uh, increase in, in, uh, in, in opportunities that we generate too. But I'm also expecting a huge improvement in the quality of the opportunity that we generate, which will result in a higher closing rate. It will result in, uh, in a lower um, loss of opportunities along the way so that they won't churn as much as they, uh, as they would have otherwise. Uh, so I, I think, um, we are still to see, you know, the, the upside in terms of converted revenue, but we can already see a massive upside in terms of productivity terms. Right. The leading, the leading indicators are there. Sound, all right. Yeah. Sounds good. So, yeah. all right. So just because I want to be respectful of time. So Steve, three things that if somebody was thinking about making these types of changes, three things that you would recommend they keep in mind or make part of their thinking as they approach these types of initiatives. So number one, unequivocally and without exception, be willing to communicate, over-communicate, prep for your communication, and then follow up with additional communication. Uh, Everybody needs to be in the know. Plant seeds early and often. Uh, Get buy-in from major stakeholders. Uh, If you have the capability, get an executive sponsor to help with the communication, but you have to be super transparent and open with everybody. Number two, champion the change. Uh, Don't just talk about change. Don't just say change is something that we all go through and it's difficult. Embrace it and and be out front leading the change. For any 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 leader out there, uh, that's the that's definitely the the difference maker. And then three, involve everybody in your processes. Uh, And when I say everybody, you know your major stakeholders. Um, Have people who have creative mind share and understand that uh, our way is not the best way involved. It's, it has to be a group effort to have things be implemented appropriately. Otherwise you're going to spend more time trying to convince others um, to get on board than you are about how quickly you can make the change happen. Excellent. Okay. So let's talk about teams. Anything uh, that you want to point out or say to your teams uh, that you think deserves to be highlighted, Marco? Well, some, some of the team members, the way they, they changed completely their point of view, like they, they were so against it and they became <laughs> champions and they were driving it. Uh, so it's something that I was really happy to see, a little bit surprised, but, uh, it was okay to, 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 to see the change happening because I could see how these people realized the benefit they were getting out of the process. 
Uh, and it does happen particularly during the training sessions. I mean, when we did the vortex training, I could see the light switching on in, in above people's heads, you know, almost, <laughs> almost like in a cartoon. Uh, and that made a lot of sense for me. Even their participation during the training was almost as a, a surprise for me because I was expecting them to be passive and they were really, really on board. So, um, some people did decide to, to, uh, leave. They decided, said, look, this is not for me. And that's okay. And I respect that. And I rather prefer for people to understand their destination is not the same. And I think it's good if it happens. So I, I took it also as part of a byproduct of the process that in a way helped us to be uh, better at what we eventually achieved. And how about for you, Steve? Yeah, I would fall right in line with Marco. We, we, uh, I think that we experienced similar individuals who, uh, initially who were not even on the bus, but went from jumping on the bus to driving the bus. That was definitely one of those things that was not only a bit of a surprise, but uh, inspired people. Um, So I I think uh, for us, uh, it was, that was, uh, that was one of the things that was not only surprising, but it was, you know, help, help motivate the troops. Perfect. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. And you, and you both should know what's coming. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. And the first is simply as a revenue executive, that makes you a prospect. And I'm always curious to know when somebody doesn't have that referral in, they don't have that trusted uh, introduction. How do they capture, you know, your, your curiosity, build the credibility and earn the right to 10 to 13 to 15 minutes on your calendar? So Marco, you first. Uh, well, first of all, I don't like when people try to sell me things. So if it is very on your face, I just probably not even entertain the conversation. <laughs> so I, I like people to be subtle to me. You know, I'm a sucker. They can sell me anything they want, but not by telling me they want to sell me something. So that, that is, that is the first rule for me. Then, yeah, uh, make a good use of my time, make it relevant. I mean, recently some, somebody wanted to sell me contacts that use the workday the Workday uh, tool, which is ridiculous because I work for Workday. And so that, that was a joke. And um, and then when I say no, I know that by the time you say no, you're not going to sell to me. But if I say no, please leave it as that. Don't go back. Say, oh, but is there a little chance now? If it's no, it's no. And you're already screwing up your chances for the next time. So that's my three key things. I love it. Steve? I have one thing that is a is a uh, – a, a door opener for me all the time. And that is the, the philosophy of show me, you know, me individuals who take time to invest in understanding who I am, finding out what my background is, understanding what my leadership philosophies or principles could be based on moves that I've made titles that I've earned uh, experiences that they may have had or, or connections that they may have that are similar to mine that that will win a conversation with me. So if you are, um, Blind emailing me on some blanket uh, email blast, there's no way you're getting through the door. If you have some level of intimacy with me that demonstrates that you care enough to know me, uh, that's a door opener. And I'm going to and I'm going to de- deliver on a 15 minute uh, conversation. Excellent. All right. Last question. Call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell salespeople that you believe if they listen to one piece of advice, again, that if they listen to, you believe would help them hit their targets, what would it be and why? Steve, we'll let you go first this time. I've become a, not only a, a champion, but a, a huge believer in the, in the philosophy of you have to pick up the phone. I talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's critical that you take one hour a day, 
whether you are in corporate sales development, SDRs, BDRs, whatever it may be, or even field sales, if you're not picking up the phone and making the phone call and going through the motions of doing prospecting, you're leaving it in the hands of somebody else. So don't let the uh, the saw get dull. I mean, you got to continue to sharpen the saw and know how to uh, say what you're going to say before the end, the prospect gets on the phone. Um, never quit calling. It's a key for me. It's one of those things that if somebody calls me versus emails me and, and they show me that they know me, the, in, the chances increase of having additional conversations much deeper into the sales cycle. Excellent. What about you, Marco? First of all, I want to say, Steve, with this saw analogy, you would have been wasted as a farmer. You should have been <laughs> <in the job. laughs> beside, beside the point. I mean, I think uh, it's important to predict where you want to land. I mean, uh, I've learned it in many, many years of experience working in sales. It's a, it's a, it's a numbers game. You reverse engineer where you want to finish. There was a, I don't remember if it was Stephen Covey used to say that, like, think with the end in mind or, Imagine your own funeral, or whatever, and go back and see, you know, what you need to, to do in order to get there. So to be able to predict where you want to, to get and build the volume of work that is required to get you there with the erosion that comes along the way is the most important thing. And I think a good salesperson knows that unless you put the effort in, unless, unless you put the volume of work in, the outcome is unlikely to come. So I think predicting, predicting where you want to be is the key. Excellent. I, Steve, Marco, I want to sincerely thank you personally for not only allowing, not only coming on the podcast and giving me another hour of your time, but for including me as part of the journey that we went on. I, I still go back to uh, some of the fondest memories from last year are uh, Dublin and Salt Lake <laughs> and the times that we had there and the stories that we got to share and getting to know you both and seeing you both in action is truly inspiring. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show today. It's been great to have you. Thanks, Chad. Thanks to me and Chad. And likewise, I mean, I told you already when we were in Dublin together, I mean, it was a fantastic experience to be part of the learning and the way you imparted the knowledge that you gave us is something else. Excellent. All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill. Check it out at b2brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. Until next time, keep learning, keep pushing. Obviously, pick up the phone and know we have value selling associates which you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.